Welcome to As We Eat, where we explore the intersection of food, family, history, and culture. We think there's something magical that happens when people get together and share food. Conversations seem to happen a little more naturally. We talk about our commonalities and our differences. We share stories, memories, and recipes. We'll use food to take a journey that explores our human experience, share fun facts and some that aren't so fun, and how food connects and defines us. So if you've ever eaten, prepared, or shared food, then this podcast probably has something for you. Hey, Kim. Hey, Lee. Let's talk about food. Before we talk about food, how are you? I'm really well. I'm looking forward to the autumn season coming on us. There's a lot of fun things that happen around this time of the year. I'm thinking of Halloween, Thanksgiving, birthday celebrations, big holiday traditions, and looking forward to all of that. How about you? How are you? Doing good, too. And I I agree. I, I love the fall. I love the brisk, cold air in the morning and the leaves falling and changing colors. And the flavors of fall. Absolutely. Things just seem a lot more rich in the fall. They do. They do mature. Like I think of flavors maturing in the fall. Mm. Maple, um, definitely pumpkin. It's, they're not the bright, hot flavors that we get in this, in the spring and summer. They're more laid back. They've, they've spent the summer having fun and now they're ready to be harvested. Exactly. I love that. Well, speaking of flavors, what are some of the first flavors you remember experiencing? First flavors I recall. I guess when I think about that, I think about my grandma and baking, I think are probably the, mm. is the first thing that comes to mind. Again, the richness, the the cinnamon and the sugar and, oh, cinnamon and sugar toast. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> that sounds delicious. Yeah. The butter melting into the toast and just kind of making the sugar and the cinnamon stick to the toast mm. in that perfect combination. Mm. Yeah. I loved cinnamon and sugar toast. I loved it when my mother made it. It's a great, like, strong memory. And fun fact, cinnamon's used at crime scenes to neutralize odor. I did not know that. <laughs> yes. So if you happen to have a decaying body um, <laughs> and you need to get rid of the smell of it, cinnamon. All right. Cinnamon is the first memory and maybe possibly the last memory. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Brains are weird things and they remember weird details. And I don't know how I know that. I really don't. That's It's a random fact. That is a very interesting random fact. I have another random cinnamon fact. Not quite as macabre as that, but fun. So up until the early 16th century, the origins of cinnamon were pretty closely guarded by spice merchants. And that allowed them to maintain their stronghold on the trade as well as the exotic price of cinnamon. Mm. So this story was documented by a Greek historian called Herodotus, which involved these gigantic mythical birds that would collect cinnamon sticks and store them in their nests high above on these mountain peaks that were completely inaccessible by humans. And according to this account, cinnamon traders would leave these huge pieces of ox meat 
And I'm talking a side of ox, not a round roast here. So the birds would fly down, they would collect the ox meat, and they would bring it up to their nests. And even as big as the nests were, they weren't big enough to hold the weight of the meat. So the nests would collapse, which in turn caused the cinnamon sticks that were being stored up there to fall down to the ground, which these courageous spice merchants would gather and take back to sell. And Pliny the Elder also had um, a story about gathering cinnamon, which involved magic rafts that were solely powered by man alone and his courage. But by the 19th century, cinnamon was being cultivated in other parts of the world, and it wasn't any longer the expensive rare commodity that it had once been. Wow, I actually had no idea that that... Can you imagine hearing those stories and being full of wonder and awe about this trader who, you know, went to great lengths and great peril in order to bring cinnamon? It would It would definitely be... Like it would, I would, it would add to the cachet of the spice, obviously, as well as the price. Yeah. So I can imagine like, oh, this is a very special dish because this is a very special spice. Exactly. Hmm. That's fun. How about you? What were some of your earliest memories? Um, I think for me, actually, one of my earliest taste memories is... It's a little bit more of a summertime thing, though. It's it's summertime tomatoes. We used to grow tomatoes and cucumbers. Um, I was a wee little tyke and living in North Carolina, and we had a garden patch out back. My, my mom grew beautiful, just stunningly beautiful tomatoes. And that also led to my first favorite food, which was tomato and mayo sandwiches, which Basically, it's just a tomato sandwich, but the fact that, like, tomato and mayo, for some reason, was the thing. And as a little kid, I learned how to manipulate my mom into getting what I wanted, which was a tomato sandwich. I had refused to eat my dinner, as toddlers are prone to do. And uh, about half an hour, hour later, I'd, oh, mommy, I'm hungry. Well, what do you want? A tomato sandwich. So I would, I was able to, to secure that coveted tomato sandwich but it because the tomatoes were homegrown and allowed to ripen naturally obviously they they don't taste anything at all like what you can get at a grocery store it's just a it's a hot tangy taste the smell of a tomato off the vine to me was always a smell that I would I would use to describe the color red to somebody who couldn't see it's that spicy, hot, <laughs> I know I've said that a couple of times, but it's that hot, spicy, hot smell that to me is the epitome of sunshine and red. And man, those sandwiches were something else. And finally, my mom finally figured out my, my scheme <laughs> with the tomato sandwiches and figured out I was not going to starve to death. If I did not get my tomato sandwich, which I think is every young parent's fear, my child isn't eating. Um, and so if I refused dinner in, in pursuit of a tomato sandwich, I was not offered the tomato sandwich. I was offered the dinner instead. So sadly, my wily ways didn't last too, too long. But and I remember being denied. I actually do remember being denied my very first tomato sandwich and like whining. But I want one. 
and are holding fast to it. And I learned my lesson. Can't can't manipulate mom into getting a tomato sandwich anymore. <laughs> womp womp. But I do grow them now. I mean, I grow, I try, I try to grow in hopes that I can kind of capture that flavor of childhood. And I'm sure it's been, you know, that the flavor memory has been, has deepened over time so that it's probably possible that no tomato can really ever satisfy it. But man, those were, those were poignant early days forming my uh, food palette. You know, it's interesting that you talk about recreating that taste. And um, I was reading some articles about food memories. And one of the things that they talked about was that the reason that food memories are so strong and powerful for us is because they involve all five senses. Mm -hmm. And they, it's not only about the food, but it's the context around the food. It's the people that we were with. It's what was happening at that time. So the fact that um, as a toddler, you were able to manipulate mom, I have some power here, right? <laughs> and I right. don't have to eat this what I don't like. Um, so even if you could grow the perfect tomato, you still wouldn't get that flavor because your mom's not there. You're not a toddler right. and you're not, <laughs> right. you're not in control of the situation at that point. So I thought it was very interesting to, to think about how our food memories, not only do they take us back to a certain place in time, but how important it is for us to try to recreate that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Even knowing that we, we probably never ever will be able to get that specific feeling back but we still try we try every time we make whatever that dish is absolutely well how many times have have folks you know across the ages across the planet wanted to recapture that dish that grandma made or that abuela made or that abuelo made um you know or the I mean, we've encountered so many stories in that way of, of folks hoping to recapture the essence of perhaps a lost loved one, mm -hmm. someone that we remember, the smell of their kitchen and the, the, the taste of the fresh thing that they just made. It's it, it's pretty persistent. I think it crosses all cultures. I do too. And I, and I, love, I love to hear people's stories about um, what their favorite thing that grandma would make or their mom would make or their dad or their uncle or grandpa even. Do you have a favorite family thing that you like to think about? Mm, I do. It is making rosettes with my grandma green. And again, I think when I was thinking about why this memory was so important to me, I, there were several things. First of all, my grandma green wasn't a blood relative in any way. Um, she actually kind of adopted our family as hers. Um, so, it, and I think it was important for my mom and my dad because they'd moved away from all of their family. And to have that kind of feeling about being taken in and cared for by an older generation, I think that that was really important for both of them. And for my sister and I, especially having that grandmother figure that, was there for us. And, um, she was an amazing cook and my grandpa was funny. And, um, yeah, so it was, 
that just being with her and being with them and being taken in by them was a special thing. But the rosette specifically, it was dangerous because you had to dip this iron into hot oil. So we felt really powerful. We were given that responsibility of being careful so that we wouldn't burn ourselves. Um, but also in that whole danger of making the rosettes, the rosettes themselves were so dainty and so fragile mm. that it was just this really crazy dichotomy of this hot boiling oil danger and this beautiful, fragile, light, slightly sweet Christmas pastry. And mm. I just, I loved being able to make those with my grandma. You know, I think of the things that really inspired my palate as a, as a young person. And, and, and to me, taste and scent are often, you know, I can't, I can't separate the two. And of course, there's biological reasons for that, for those two to be related. But one of the enduring things that I think of, too, when I think of, you know, food as a young person is Cape Malay food. Um, folks are South African immigrants. And while we did not eat Cape Malay on a regular basis, it was usually it was usually something that we did for a special occasion. My mom would make sasatis, which are um, a marinated lamb and often accompanied with uh, marinated dried fruit. And the smell when she would make them the day before whatever dinner party she was hosting, the smell would permeate the house with this rich, slightly acidic from the vinegar, because uh, it's got a lot of vinegar in the base, the stewed fruits, and I would steal into the kitchen, crafty kid, and try to fish out like at least one apricot that had been stewing in this just rich curried vinegary broth. And there was something about that taste of the sweet fruit and the concentrated sweet fruit too, that was married with that marinade. That was just absolutely, it would like be like firecrackers going off in my head. I, I loved it whenever my folks, either of them cooked any kind of curry in the house because it would be these just rich, gorgeous smells that were not part of our everyday cooking. And I think that's what made them stand out as well was that it was these, it marked a special occasion. It marked a special event. So what else do you remember? I remember what I went against the most was the concept of making everything out of a box or a can because that's the way that my mom cooked and and to be fair I think a lot of parents cooked that way when in the time that I was growing up um it was convenient it was fast it was affordable but I didn't like it I didn't like it very much I wanted things to be homemade now my mother is an amazing gardener so we always had lots of vegetables and tomatoes and cucumbers and she pickled a lot um, but it was lots of food out of cans and boxes boxed cakes mm. always chung king chow mein a lot oh man yes yeah I, 
I always wanted to try that. My mom never would. <laughs> my mom never would. Please go on. Tell me more. Those are a lot of the memories that I have um, growing up. Was on one hand, grandma homemade everything. Mom, on the other hand, who who really embraced the prepackaged food revolution. Oh, I know. TV dinners. Oh, yes. TV dinners. Those were special. Those were special. Yeah. What which kind did you like the most? The one that had the best dessert. Well, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> My gosh, do people do people still eat these things cuz I mean, I think for our generation, there's like a, an enormous memory of them. But I don't, I, I wonder if my sister, who is very thoroughly a millennial, um, and I'm not bagging on millennials, but I, I wonder if they have that same experience that we did. Yeah, I don't know. Those were special because that meant mom was going out for the evening. Um, she would, she, my mom would always cook, uh, actually cooked a lot from scratch as I remember it. I don't remember a lot of cans and boxes. But no, she she did cook a lot from scratch and to a point that in, that really inspired me. I mean, I I used to go I used to buy her books at the Scholastic Book Fair, the cookbooks, and, and I still have quite a few of them um just because I they were cool. Um and so I remember looking through them trying to emulate her. Um so it's interesting that we both kind of ended up in the same space about home cooking. Yeah. Having these different, very different influences mm -hmm. in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. You know, we'd love to hear from you, our listeners. What is your favorite food memory or an early memory, maybe a particular scent or memory of cooking with a loved one in the kitchen? Please tell us all about it. For more information about today's episode, check out our website at asweeat.com. Follow us on Instagram at asweeat and join our new As We Eat community on Facebook. So you don't miss an episode, subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And it would make us super happy if you would share this with your friend or several friends and review it and rate it stars please and one more thing we'll be publishing the as we eat journal a companion publication to the podcast we'll take you behind the scenes dig deeper into food lore and history share recipes and amazing photos and so much more make sure to sign up on the website for updates and another thing we also have a patreon page where you can support us by becoming a patron we've created an exclusive podcast for our patrons called recipe box roulette we think you're gonna love it You've been listening to As We Eat, a multimedia project recorded and produced by Leigh Olson and Kim Baker. Obviously.